As we've been studying in the book of Mark, Jesus, in this last section of text over the last few weeks, he's been removing himself from the crowds, and he's specifically been focusing on his disciples. He's got specific things that he wants to teach them. And while there's been a few uh, different points of teaching, one of the primary things that we have seen is Jesus predicting his death and his resurrection. He does that three times over the last few chapters. And each time that prediction is made, we get to witness the disciples making some sort of blunder, a a failure to understand what Jesus is trying to teach them. And after each one of those points of failure, where their pride and their arrogance and their selfish ambition is getting in the way, after each one of those failures, Jesus then has a correction, a statement to correct them. And just as way of review and to set the stage, the context for today's passage, I want us to read, I want you to hear, listen to these summary points by Jesus to correct his disciples. So after the first prediction, Jesus then says to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. After the second prediction and failure, Jesus says, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Then after the third death and resurrection prediction and the failure of the disciples, Jesus says this, what Blake covered last week. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. The disciples could not get it and continue to fail in understanding the implications of of who Jesus is, the type of king that he is, the type of kingdom that he's bringing, and the way of the kingdom, the way the disciples are then to be acting. Instead, they are still stuck in their own glory, in their own selfish ambition. They're headed in the wrong direction. And the question this morning for us is, are we headed in the wrong direction Are we going to understand what Jesus is trying to get across or not? We've got this default operating operating system inside of us called sin, and it bends our eyes inward, and it bends our eyes to be fixated on ourselves and our own glory. And that's what's causing the disciples, and maybe us this morning, to to, to miss it, to miss Jesus, and 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 to be concerned with the things of this world, not the things of His eternal kingdom. And so the difference or the contrast is then made to us today. A kingdom of power and authority or a kingdom of humility and a kingdom of mercy and a kingdom of self-sacrifice. And I was really helped by R.C. Sproul this week that to make sense of, of where this story of Bartimaeus Uh, or why this story is situated here. It's almost weird, almost out of place. Next week, we're we're entering into Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. The Passover's coming. There's a throng of people headed that way, and we're about to enter into it. 
And then we have this story of Bartimaeus. And what we're going to see is that this is the path. This is the path if we really want to enjoy Jesus and enjoy his kingdom we must be like Bartimaeus in the story. And so it's a real simple, clear outline for us. We never get past the basics. This is really basic this morning. At first, we need to recognize or embrace our need for Jesus. Secondly, we need to cry out to Jesus. And thirdly, we need to follow Jesus in glad surrender. So that's where we're going. We open up First point, to embrace our need for Jesus. Verse 46, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So here we meet our friend Bart. Barty. Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus is not doing good. He's a blind beggar. We first get to know his condition He's actually in misery. This is before the days of disability services or programs that would be there for those that are blind. And so his blindness, his condition has got him in a very, very rough spot. He's become a beggar. He can't make money on his own. That's not possible. He must depend upon other people for handouts and he can't even see the people that he's trying to ask money for. He's completely helpless. I think that's what we need to see here. This man is completely 100% helpless and dependent upon power and things outside of himself. He can't do it on his own. And he's sitting on this roadside. Jericho, this is not the Old Testament Jericho. This is about 20 miles outside of Jerusalem. And he's by the roadside. He's got a good spot. And he's expecting this crowd, these crowds to be coming up, making their way to Jerusalem for Passover. And he's got his cup out there, or his dish. And he's just hoping somebody's going to walk by and notice him and drop a coin in his cup. And that's how he lives. But he's destitute. He's in desperation. He's struggling. He's struggling. He's not doing good. He, I would imagine he hates his life as we're going to even see in his cry for mercy. He's, he's suffering and we don't know all that's going on in his life, but the guy is in rough shape. And this first point for us, if we want to move into enjoying Jesus and his kingdom, we've got to go here with Bartimaeus. We've got to own our own struggle. We might not have the same struggle as Bartimaeus, but we do have our struggles. There's physical struggles, right? The coronavirus and disease. Like we should not be blind to struggle. But I think what we oftentimes get blind to is our ability, or I'm, excuse me, no, our inability to do anything about it. We want to locate the problem outside of ourselves when the Bible is locating the problem inside of ourselves. There's sin in here. Yes, there's sickness and there's disease and there's trouble out in the world, but the problem is here. It's inside the human heart. There's sin here. And regardless of where we may find ourselves in this life or in suffering, maybe you're in intense suffering today, or maybe you're not. 
But the Bible declares to us, based upon our condition before a holy God, we are right now under the wrath of God. And when we die, we will appear before that holy God and He will pour out His full wrath on us for all eternity. And that pain and that suffering at that point is beyond expression. We've been covering that some in Mark. We are in a miserable condition and we are unable to get ourselves out of it. No amount of governmental change or policy or accountability programs or whatever we might do to clean up our hearts or to fix our world, we cannot stop it. We cannot stop the suffering. We cannot stop the pain. And if we're honest about it, we cannot stop the misery. Is that the way you feel this morning? Do you own? Do you own your misery? Do you embrace your suffering? Both here and the greater suffering that's to come under the judgment of God. And if that's us this morning, that's nothing to be afraid of. This is the first, this is the first step towards joy and hope and healing and redemption. Not be ashamed. We don't need to be ashamed that we're strugglers and that we're sinners. We need to embrace it. And then secondly, we need to take our need to Jesus. That's what we see next. Cry out to Jesus in our need. Verse 47, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Bartimaeus is sitting beside the road and he's used to hearing footsteps, but now he hears something a little bit different. Something unusual is happening. There's a commotion coming down the street and Luke's account of this story tells us that he, he, he asked those around him, what's going on? What's going on? Why is this commotion coming? And they tell him it's Jesus of Nazareth and then he begins to cry out. This is loud passionate, hope-filled, expectant crying. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. His hope is singularly fixed on this person, this individual. It's the first time that Mark's used the title Son of David. He said, well, what's going on with this title Son of David? Well, we, we probably remember, we've heard of David, King David the great king of Israel, the military leader, the one to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. Son of David, there's a prophecy that somebody is going to come from his lineage. It's going to be like David. And this has its deep roots in prophecy all the way back to 2 Samuel 7. This prophecy was given to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up, God talking, your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. 
So all eyes are on this lineage. This is the expectation and the hope that a Messiah is going to come, someone like David from the line of David, who's going to have his kingdom established, right? And they're under the oppression of Rome. Like now would be a great time for this warrior king to come. And Bartimaeus evidently has heard about this guy, Jesus. He's sitting there blind wherever he is and people are talking. There's, there's a word on the street about this guy, Jesus from Nazareth. And what all the stories that maybe have reached Bartimaeus' ears by this point, this man who is casting out demons, who's healing the blind, this man who's raising the dead, who is teaching with an authority that nobody has ever experienced. And what happens in his heart when these stories are shared to Bartimaeus? The Holy Spirit blows upon his heart. In those moments when he hears this story, all of a sudden, deep inside of him, empowered by the Holy Spirit, faith starts happening and he says, yes, yes to those stories. And he's connecting the dots. This man, this teaching man, in authority over all things, the one who calms storms. This is the Messiah. This is the son of David. He makes the connection and then that starts moving out. It starts deep in his heart as faith works on his heart by the Holy Spirit. And it begins moving now here in this moment. He hears Jesus of, of Nazareth, the son of David is coming and he's crying out now. So faith is causing him to move. His body is moving. His, he's voicing his cry. He's voicing in some way his faith. Jesus is coming by. And it's instructive to us what he cries for. He cries for mercy. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's not crying out for political power, he's not crying for rule. Their ambition, he's crying for mercy. I need you, Jesus, to see me, look at me, Jesus, and have mercy on me and alleviate my pain and my suffering. That's what I'm asking you to do, nothing more. Just have mercy on me. I'm in intense pain and agony here. And not everybody likes what Bartimaeus is doing. We see that in the next verse, 48. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. We see the crowds here, the disciples, and they're just buzzing along. It's this current, this stream, and they're, they're moving with this force towards Jerusalem. The king is here, and we're going to go. We're, he's getting him power. It's this big, exciting throng. A lot of energy, a lot of buzz. And then over here, beside the throng somewhere, we hear this man. And he's crying out. He's crying out for Jesus. And they don't like it. And so they say, hey, somebody needs to tell him to be quiet. Tell him to be quiet. And so the crowd goes over there and begins rebuking Bartimaeus. They rebuke him. 
Stop doing that, Bartimaeus. Stop, stop crying out like a crazy man to Jesus. Don't you know who you are? Don't you know who you are? You're a blind beggar. You're not worth anything. And don't you know who he is? He's the king, so leave him alone. And you know who we are? We're something special because we're walking with him to go get in power. So be quiet, Bartimaeus. This king doesn't have time for you. This king doesn't deal with people like you. He's got way more important things to do. Way more important things to do. But Bartimaeus is not phased. He keeps calling out. He keeps calling out. Add to his passionate prayer, persevering prayer. If you're Bartimaeus, I'm not stopping. I'm not stopping because you're telling me to stop. I'm not stopping because I know who I'm calling for. It's a plea for my king who I know can do something about my condition. And he keeps crying out all the more loudly and consistently and ongoingly. Keeps crying out how easily we give up in prayer when things get tough. May we take a little lesson here to not stop crying out to our God when we have opposition in this life to our prayer lives. When other things get in the way, whether that be voices in our head or thoughts in our heart or literal time constraints or otherwise obstacles to prayer, may we not stop praying. Just because things get tough, may we not stop May we keep pursuing our King in prayer. And what does Jesus do? Verse 49. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. Jesus stops. This rush of a crowd is moving along. And Jesus stops. I think that visual would have been so impactful. Like the crowd just continuing to move forward and say, well, where's Jesus? What happened to him? And he stopped back here. Oh, wow, the king has stopped. Why did he stop? He hears something. Jesus is saying, I I hear something. I hear something really special. I hear someone who needs me. I hear someone who's suffering. I'm stopping. I am stopping. And in essence, he says, crowd, don't quiet him. You call him. You're wrong in what you're doing. You're wrong in what you're doing. And maybe this morning, we felt like we're in the shadows of Jesus, shadows of this world. You ever felt like that? You feel like that this morning? Crowd is just passing you by. Jesus seemingly to pass you by. You might be in the shadows to this world, but you are in the spotlight for Jesus. Jesus stops for you. You got pain in your heart? you got suffering in your life and you're bringing it to Jesus. You're calling out to Him. His ear hears you. 
He hears you and He draws near to you. And they, as they say to Bartimaeus, take heart. So the Word says to us this morning, take heart. Be of good courage. Be of cheer. Your King Jesus stops. He sees you. He hears you. He's drawing near to you. May we be encouraged this morning as we bring our cries to Jesus. How does Bartimaeus then respond? Verse 50, And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus asks him the very same question that he asked James and John last week. What do you want me to do for you? You remember how they responded? Jesus, let us sit at your right hand and your left hand. Out of pride and ambition, they wanted those things. It was not so they could serve in that position. It was so that they could rule in that position. And how different here, Bartimaeus, Jesus, just, just give me my sight, please. That's all I want. You to end my misery, which is so contingent upon me being able to see. It's a very different response. It's humility here. The word rabbi here could be rabboni. Only used one other place with Mary when Mary sees Jesus after the resurrection. In other words, this is probably more than teacher. This is master or Lord. Great humility here, Lord. Lord, if you would just... First, He already asked for mercy, but now, okay, you want to know what I really want? Just give me my sight. He brings His cry and His need to Jesus. Maybe we, we be instructed to do that this morning as well. To bring it all. We have a Savior who can handle the depths of our cries. Whatever it is that we are going through, let us not hold it. Let us not try to fix it on our own. Not that common graces in this world aren't helpful. They're blessings from God. But at the root of it, are we taking our cries to God? Are we taking our pain and our struggle to God? To Jesus. That's what we must do. Then next we see our last point here. We've embraced our need. We've taken our need to Jesus and finally followed Jesus in glad submission. Verse 52, And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So Jesus blesses Bartimaeus. He performs this miracle of mercy. And he says, your faith has made you well. Now, it's very interesting, the word well, the word well does not mean you have been given sight. The word well means you have been made whole, wholesome, or biblically, you have been saved. There is a complete holistic salvation that has come to you now, Bartimaeus. A whole salvation your faith has made you well. Romans 10, 13 says to us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you bring your cry to Jesus, you will be saved. That's the guarantee and the promise of scriptures. Now, Jesus is clear to point to this guy's faith. Your, your faith has made you well. 
your faith. And it's not the degree of your faith. It's the object of your faith. It's who you are looking at. That is what has brought you salvation. Right? It's like when you call somebody, when you're trying to call Jesus on the phone, you dial the number. It does not depend upon your confidence in dialing the number. The degree of confidence that you have when you dial that number to a friend, that's not what matters. What matters is that you are dialing the number. So it's not how confident we are when we're crying out to Jesus. It's the fact that we're looking to Jesus. It's the fact that He's the object of our focus and our hope. And that is where we are going. Bartimaeus knows that he's got nothing that he's bringing to the table here in this equation. Right? He's asking for mercy. I'm just a blind beggar on the side of the road and everybody just kicks dust up in my face and that's my existence. I know I got nothing. I'm the refuse of the world. I'm over here treated like trash. I got nothing to give King Jesus. Are you kidding me? But faith, as it's been said, is the hand of the beggar that reaches out to receive the gift. <laughs> but I know he's got something to give me. He's the king of the universe, the son of David. That's what faith is doing. It's receiving. Ephesians 2.8 For it is by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Like, matter-of-factly, not your doing. You don't do this. God does this. Even the faith, not your doing. It is the Holy Spirit working through your heart. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. After Bartimaeus receives his sight, what does he do? He follows Jesus. He follows Him along the way. You've just been given eyesight. What are all the things that you would want to do in that moment? I mean, you can see. It's very clear. Just immediate sight happens. No effort here. The will of Jesus happens in this guy's body. What are you going to go do? All the things you could go do and see. But there's one thing and one thing only that Bartimaeus wants to do. I'm following Jesus. I am following Jesus. These eyes, these eyes were given sight for one reason, that I might behold Him in His glory. I'm following Him to Jerusalem. Wherever He goes, I'm going, Bartimaeus is saying. There is no one else I would rather follow. Nothing else I would rather see. That's what happens when you get saved. That's what happens when grace and mercy lands in your heart. You want Jesus. And you want nothing else other than Jesus. He becomes the prize of your heart and the affections of your heart. That's how Jesus wins us. He doesn't, he doesn't win us through fear and power and manipulation and coercion. He wins our allegiance through suffering, sacrifice, and extension of His mercy to us and serving us. That's how Jesus wins our hearts and wins His people. He serves them. And so we follow. And so we gladly follow Jesus. And Jesus is on the road right now to do one thing also. 
He's heading to Jerusalem. We read it earlier in last week. He's going to Jerusalem to die. He's going to Jerusalem not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's what he's going to do. And this is the ultimate way that we see Jesus extend mercy to us. He's not just spitting out miracles as He walks on some road to self-glory. No, He's going to a cross. That's where the miracle of mercy is going to happen in His ultimate form and expression. On a cross. It's like Charles Spurgeon commented. He says this, Strange it is, that where misery was concentrated, mercy reigned. Strange it is that where misery was concentrated, mercy reigned. Or you could put it this way, Jesus endured misery, our misery, that we might receive His mercy. It's the only way that it could actually happen. We needed a ransom. We needed a sacrifice. That's the only thing that can shield us from the wrath of Almighty God on our sin. We need a substitute, somebody to pay that price. And that's what Jesus is doing on the cross. That's a misery and a suffering that you and I will never, ever fathom. That place where He takes on the wrath of God and the sins of all the world. He takes the misery that we might receive mercy. That's the type of king that Jesus is. This is the type of kingdom that He is inaugurating. Not one of self-glory, but of self-sacrifice. Not one of pride, but one of humility. Not one that is selfish, but one that is looking to serve others. A kingdom that is inaugurated for those that do feel broken. Broken by sin. Broken in this world. That is inaugurated for those that would look to Jesus as their hope and as their only hope. As the one who can fix it. It is not for the self-righteous. It is not for those who have it all together. It is not for those that bypass people like Bartimaeus. That's not King Jesus. Jesus did predict His death, but He also predicted His resurrection. The story does not end with the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus. He's not dying merely as a martyr. He's dying to rescue a people. And three days later, He comes out of the grave as, a, as the resurrected and vindicated Son of God, Son of David. He comes out of the grave to inaugurate a kingdom. A kingdom that will last forever. We're brought back to 2 Samuel 16 to repeat that for you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Jesus is out of the grave. He died once and He died once for all. He's not dying again. He's never entering back into that. He lives and He reigns. He's ascended up to the Father the right hand of God Almighty, where now He rules and He reigns. And one day, He's going to be bringing back a kingdom 
at the full inauguration of that, a new heavens and a new earth where sin finally ripped out of our hearts and the full, the new creation of our hearts will be beating with peace and righteousness. Worship in the new heavens and the new earth. Every tear wiped away from the eye. No more sin, no more suffering, no more Satan, no more death. Just God. Just God forever and ever and ever. And our experience of that is worship and joy unending. Peace forever. That's what King Jesus is doing. It's what He's doing now. Can we not gladly surrender and submit ourselves to this Jesus? Has He not won our hearts by what He has done for us? May we now count the world as loss, forsaking our sin and forsaking the idolatries of this, of this world and simply worshiping Him, surrendering Him, walking in obedience to Him gladly. No more fear. We're forgiven, church. Unbeliever, Christ forgives you. His blood is sufficient for you. Believe in that sacrifice this morning and never fear the punishment of God again. That joy, that eternal joy, can now leak its way back into this present moment where we can live. We can live like otherworldly people, like the people we should be. Christians are otherly, otherworldly type of people because our hope is not here. But we've been set free from this world to serve Jesus and now bring hope to this lost and hurting world. Let's not be like the disciples. Let's not be like the crowds in this text who are running along and they're missing Jesus and they're missing His kingdom. Let's be like Bartimaeus, acknowledging our brokenness, acknowledging our need for mercy, crying out to Jesus for mercy, and then walking in glad surrender, following Him wherever it goes. And it's to Jerusalem, and if it means wearing a cross, we do that. And we do that gladly. We do that. We wear that agony. If that's what it takes, we do it gladly because the prize is worth it. Serving King Jesus is worth it. And then lastly, finally, wish we could spend more time on this, but let's also be like Jesus in this text. We're following Jesus. We're wearing this cross. But now we, as the church, let's not miss the voices calling out and crying out from the shadows. That's our job here, is to hear those that are crying out for mercy. Let's have ears. Ears to hear those that are crying out and suffering, eager to share the gospel hope with them, and eager to relieve their suffering. That they may know Christ, their joy may be full, and Christ may be honored. May we do that, church, now in all the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit that God would bless us with. May our church be vibrant as we live out the call of God and our mission to know Him and make Him known. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, God, that You are a King that extends mercy to those that don't deserve it, to the weak, to the broken. We thank You, God, that You are a God who is in charge and can fix 
our hearts. You can forgive our hearts and you can fix this broken world. We thank you, Lord, that in your time you will fulfill your word to us. You will inaugurate a new kingdom. It's not built on the same turf of this world. It's not built with pride and arrogance, but it's built with service and sacrifice and joy forever. God, would you empower us now in this moment? God, we, we, we do cry out. God, life is painful. It's painful carrying around these sinful hearts that constantly war against our souls and that war against your will. God, we cry out for mercy. God, for the wreckage that the coronavirus has on this globe, we cry out for mercy. God, for the ways that we struggle in our marriages and with our children, other diseases and disabilities, for the ways that we just feel depressed and anxious, confused, and riddled with fear so often, God, would you have mercy on us now? We ask God, even in this faith or in this prayer of faith, God, that we would spring up to you and that you would draw near to us to bring relief. To bring assurance that you are King, Jesus, that you do hear us, that you are responding, and you are bringing about your sure promises. They're coming on your timeline, not on ours. We know, God, that this text is not, it's not making you out to be a genie to fix all of our problems right in the here and now. But it is for us to have the assurance that one day we will be in glory with you. And there will be no more issues and problems and sin and suffering. We give you our lives, God. Would you empower our church to be a beacon of gospel hope to a dark, dying world? Do that now. May we walk in joy and glad surrender to you. In your name we pray. Amen.